Rabbi Barak is a representative for the Voice of the Martyrs. We've got some great things to share with you. My name is Robert Brock. I've been with the Voice of the Martyrs for over 20 years, been to dozens of countries around the world providing aid and relief for the persecuted church. There's three things I want us to remember. Number one, Christians still suffer. Number two, remember them. And number three, you can make a difference. Okay? Uh, If you look at the news, there's chaos around the world, wars, rumors of wars, Ebola, disaster, what's going on around the world. And in fact, in Iraq, in Mosul, if they come to your door and they understand you're a Christian, they'll mark this marking on it, and you will have three choices. Convert to Islam, pay the tax, or face death. I tell you what, they're crying out for God's mercy and safety, and in a small way, voice of the martyrs are helping them with aid and relief. Our founders, Pastor Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, were Armenians who became Christians, he spent 14 years in prison for his faith. He ended up leading the killer of his wife's family to the Lord in his own home. And this mission has grown to over 60 countries around the world. We put out a free newsletter. looks like that with names, places, photos, dates, stories of courageous faith. I have some on the table in the foyer. They're free for the taking. If you want to get informed, sign up. It will be a great tool for you to learn to pray for those who are persecuted. Because, Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those in prison as if you're their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. There's a biblical mandate for what we're doing. We help the persecuted church around the world. The other thing we do is we smuggle Bibles. Why? Because we believe a Bible is more than a book. It is a life-giving source of spiritual food. I don't know how many people here have a Bible, but... Sarah in China spent over six years in prison for being involved with this group, providing Bibles for them. Watch closely. Folks, do we understand the privilege it is that we have the knowledge that Christ died on the cross for our sins and through His shed blood? That's the only way we can gain entrance into His presence. We smuggled over 1.2 or 3 million Bibles last year because that's what the voice of the martyrs does. Because we believe a Bible is more than a book. It is a life-giving source of spiritual food. But what I want you to remember is today, Christians still suffer. We're supposed to remember them. And you can make a difference. How? Well, you can put your faith in action. You can sign up and get the newsletter. You can pray. You can get involved. Because bottom line is, 
if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we win to the glory of God. Meet me at the table afterwards, and I'll give you a free newsletter. God bless you. And thank you, Springbrook, for the conference yesterday. God bless you. And friends, I would encourage you to stop by that table and pick up their magazine. I would encourage you to go to their website. Hopefully they'll come back again because when you hear the stories of persecuted Christians around the world, it really puts all your problems in perspective. It really is uh, an incredible experience to hear what's going on and then the freedoms uh, that we have. All right, well, we're going to have our junior hires dismissed at this time. And John Pushbra is back there, and he will be uh, teaching them. You can gather at the fireplace. And then also, uh, we're going to experiment with something with our senior high kids that are not involved in uh, Kids City. Uh, we're going to have uh, a small group out here with Pastor Rich on the white couches. So, if you're a high schooler here and you'd like to take advantage of that, just go out to the couches. Pastor Rich will meet you there. And I want you to stand up and tell them what you're loving about this Tell people what you're loving about this autumn. You guys are chatty today. That took a lot longer than usual. That's good. That's good. Wonderful. Let's think about being holy. Think about that word. Just reflect upon it. Holy. Just, just kind of think about what comes to your mind when you think about the word holy. It might be a church that you attended. Uh, that was a huge church with stained glass windows and things of that nature. Maybe it's a worship chapel in that church, you know, that had candles and everything, that kind of thing. Or, or maybe you think of a person, somebody in your life who really emulates holiness in their life. Or possibly uh, you might think of a list of roles. If I'm going to be holy, I'm going to do these ten things. That's what my parents said. <laughs> well, that's not it. Uh, maybe you think about uh, your holy jeans. Okay? Everybody got a pair of holy jeans out there that you wear? <laughs> well, again, it, it's so exciting to go through these attributes because there's so many misconceptions about God and who He is. And every attribute we look at, we understand 
him more, which again changes our lives. So we're going to be talking about uh, what is God's holiness or how does God's holiness affect me. Let's just look at a brief definition of holiness. Uh, Holiness means to set apart, that it's distinct, right? And usually we think about the purity of God when we think of holiness, but it really is kind of multi-layered. Really the first thing is it's totally distinct from everything. God is one of a kind. You can't fit him in any category. You can't make a category for him because there's only one. His majesty, it speaks about just who he is. And as you start to, to think about all his attributes and how, how different he is, uh, it moves you to worship. And then it talks about purity, ethical holiness. God says, be holy as I am holy. So we can become more holy in the way that we walk on a daily basis through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to look at a fascinating passage that uh, you've probably studied before, maybe. Uh, It's Isaiah 6, and it's one of the most tremendous passages. It gives us an idea about the holiness of God is. So, take out your message notes or open your Bibles. Turn to Isaiah 6, verse 1. Now, Isaiah was a prophet. He spoke uh, on behalf of God. And he uh, was ministering to Israel during a, a better time than usual because King Uzziah was on the throne. King Uzziah was on the phone for 50 years. 50 years. So imagine if you were born in the same, uh, on the same date that uh, King Uzziah uh, was put upon the throne. And so he would have been on the throne through childhood, through teenage years, uh, through your adult years, uh, through uh, your marriage, your children. I mean, that's a long time, right? Uh, I mean, presidents now, we got, in the past we had presidents serving longer, but uh, now they only have eight years. So when he died, it, it, it was especially painful because he had brought back God to the Israelites. They had wandered away, and he came back, he came And he cleaned up house. And he brought them back to the worship of God. So it is especially painful that he experiences. So Isaiah is giving some context here. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Now, some people think that he had a vision that's described here. And some people think that he was actually there. And I I think he was actually there. That he was in the throne room of God in the temple in heaven. He saw the Lord. An amazing thing. Not many people have seen God himself. But Isaiah was one of them. Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. What you want to do with this passage is you want to go home and you just kind of want to reflect upon it and especially visualize it because it's a visual picture of the glory of God. I mean, what does this throne look like? How big is this throne? How high 
is this wrong? Because this is a picture of holiness, God's holiness. He's totally distinct from us. Uh, he's, he's pure in every way. And he's awesome, right? He's awesome. He, he's majestic. Now look at this. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So if we were just reading that, okay, yeah, all right. That's train of the robe filled the temple like a, a bride coming down the aisle, you know, people to help her with her train. And Well, if you lived in that day, that, that's a big deal, that the train filled the temple. Because every king and ruler had a train, you know, a sign of royalty. And they had different types of trains, though, based upon their influence, their power, how important they were. So if you were really somebody who was just kind of, you know, <laughs> in a small country, you might have a canvas train, all right? Uh, but if you were like the king, you would have a sable train. And it would be long. I mean, the kings that were that were not that important. They were about maybe 10 feet long, who knows. <laughs> the more important ones were 20 feet long. And the really... The best kings were like 30 feet long. This is an illustration. All right. Now let, let, let's, let's close our eyes for a second here, okay? So we're, we're standing with Isaiah in this huge temple. And this train flows off. It billows off the throne. Okay? And who knows how high this throne is, but it covers everything. And then it not only covers the throne, but this train fills this whole entire room. I can imagine it's a big room. I mean, it just filled with his train. It's kind of pushed up against the sides because there's not enough room for it. It's in front and back. I mean, this whole room, all you can see is the train of God. Now, for those people back in that day, that said something, didn't it? What that say? That said, he's really special. <laughs> he's beyond special, obviously. He's God. So it's a visual picture here that's being created. Let's turn to Isaiah 6:2. Above him stood the seraphim. Now, that was a creature that worshipped God along with the cherubim. And I believe that these were different than the cherubim. Uh, so they were distinct. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Well, that's an odd looking creature, huh? <laughs> Let's take a look at an artist's rendering. This, obviously, we don't know exactly what a cherubim looked like, but this is the best representation I could find. So you got six wings, right? Two wings to fly. That makes sense, right? Okay, well, what are the other wings for? Well, two wings to cover the feet. The feet were the symbol of us being creatures of God, of being made by God. Remember Moses? At the burning bush, what did God say? Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Because you're a creature. And you're standing 
unholy ground. And you see this in other places uh, in Scripture. And so the cherubim were covering their feet as a sign of respect to God, being in His presence as a creature. Then you had the other two wings, and that covered their face. Now, why would they have to cover their face? Well, (laughs) anybody that we see in Scripture, not many, who have encountered God, it's just an unbelievable experience, as we'll, we'll see here. And His glory is so bright. Just, um, you can't even describe it. Remember Moses uh, when he went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? Uh, what happened there, right? He said, God, I'd like to see you. And God said, well, that's going to kill you, so you can't do that. But i tell you what I'll do. I'm going to put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by you. All right? And in Hebrew, it's his hindquarters, you know, his backside. And so that's exactly what he did. And Moses lit up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) Because he was, the glory of God was being reflected from his face as God went by. And and when he came down from the mountain, the people were all kind of nervous, you know, what's going going on up there. Uh, They went to meet him, but then they stopped. Because his face was so bright they could not bear it. Isn't that amazing? It's a man who's been in the presence of God. And so he had to wear something over his head so he wouldn't blind people <laughs> for a period of time. That is the holiness of God. We look at Isaiah 6 3 and these uh, seraphims. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now it's interesting to note that holy is repeated three different times. And what we know uh, from the culture of that day, if you really, really wanted to make a point, you repeated a word. Like Jesus Christ in John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus was constantly teaching his disciples. They They were walking around, and he would give these lectures. And then they had to recite the lectures back. It was a school of theology. There were a lot of rabbis who had what Jesus had, people who were his disciples, and he would teach them. So he'd teach and teach and teach, but when he said, truly, truly, oh, wait a second, <laughs> this is something really important that he's going to say. I really got to pay attention on this one. So if you go to that same principle and look back on this holy, 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 you ever see uh, God's attribute of love repeated three times? God's love, 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 or God's uh, justice, justice, justice or God's uh, omnipotence, omnipotence, omnipotence. You never see it. Now, why is it repeated three times here? Because it is the ultimate attribute. Holiness of God kind of encompasses all the other 
attributes. I mean, it's distinctive, but at the same time, it's really the crowning attribute that tells us who God is. And that's why they repeat it three times, because it is so true of him, and it's the best way to describe him. Like, I want to try something here. All right, so imagine we're all in the throne room, all right, and we're going to say this together, like the angels said. All right, so let's just uh, read the quote. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, I need a lot more from you guys, okay? All right. <laughs> Take some candy, get some sugar in your blood. Okay, like stand up, you know, if you're really going to get into this. Okay, stand up. All right, let's say it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Much better. Thank you so much. And we're going to do it one more time. Now we're really going to blow the place out. Okay? I mean, we are, you know, at a Chicago Bears football game. They're in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and we're just screaming our guts out. Okay? Ready? Here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Very good. Let's clap. Let's praise God. You may be seated. Now, friends, what you need to realize is that ever since the angels were created, they have been worshiping God in this way. 24-7. It's going on right now. They're saying the same thing. They're surrounding God in worship. And I mean... They are uh, rocking the place, okay? We look in Isaiah 6, 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Hmm. The place started to shake. Because even inanimate objects were responding to the holiness of God. And it was filled with smoke. And it made smoke machines. Right? Smoke just naturally rose up because He is God. He is holy. He is distinct from everything else. He is pure. And He is majesty. But a powerful visual presentation of God's glory. And what I find sometimes in American churches is that we talk about God a lot as our friend, which He is. He, he is our friend. We talk a lot about God as uh, somebody who's always there to comfort us and to encourage us and stuff like that. But we don't often talk about God on this level. And we don't spend a lot of time studying God on this level because it's kind of scary, really. It really is. And you'll see that Isaiah... <laughs> was very, very afraid. Uh, because when we start to think about the holiness of God, uh, sometimes we get scared. We don't have to be scared of God, right? But it's so important uh, that you understand both uh, ideas of who uh, God is. He's imminent in the fact that He is a, a friend and 
somebody who cares for us and loves us, but he's transcendent. He's above us all. And the more we understand that, the more we understand our lives and how we think. You know, I think about how I process through my days and responsibilities and challenges that I have. I mean, I'm a whiner. Um, like we all are, you know. And uh, But if I was in that throne room, I think I'd quickly forget about what was going on in my life. This is a holy God who is holy centered world. It's not about you. It's not about Dan Harrison. And our sinful nature naturally takes us in that direction. But the more you study about God's transcendence, His holiness, and His other attributes, and you look in Revelations, there's some really wild passages there, right? But they're good to reflect upon. And not be scared of them, but just it grows. Your respect grows for God. And you realize, you know, just you're just a little bitty creature, a little Lego. <laughs> you know? It's just important for you to remember that so we have a proper view of God. Now, how did Isaiah respond? Well, we look in verse 5. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost. Or other translations say, I am undone. So here you have Isaiah. I would think sure, for sure that he would be the most holy man in Israel. A prophet of God. I don't know what he thought about himself, but he probably thought, I'm doing pretty well here, representing God, far from perfect or anything of that nature. But, you know, we have a certain sense about ourselves, about where we're at spiritually or where we're at uh, in other areas of our lives. And, you know, we kind of feel comfortable in that. Now, here's the problem. Who are we comparing ourselves to? Yeah. Anybody we can compare ourselves to, right? Because we don't want to feel bad about ourselves. So if we have a problem with lust, and uh, somebody might bring it up, or you're just thinking about it, well, yeah, I know I do that, but I, I know Jimmy down there, oh, man, is he over the edge. <laughs> you know? Or you suffer with some type of addiction. And, and, and many, you know, as you know, many people with alcoholism and other addictions don't realize it. Why don't you think they realize it? Some are working, you know, functional alcoholics. They don't realize it because they're, they're comparing themselves to other people who are much you know, worse than they are in terms of being able to handle uh, their alcohol. Or, or maybe you're a, a materialistic person, and so you look at what other people have, and uh, you say, oh, man, I tell you what, God really cheated me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then if the thought comes, well, you're materialistic, and then you, what do you do? You point out the lady down the street or what? Look at what they have. You think I'm materialistic? Friends, we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people. There is only one standard of holiness that we compare ourselves to. And that is God's standard. And that is perfection. And that is holiness. 
Uh, so what, what he does, so Isaiah, I don't know where Isaiah was at, but I can imagine he kind of had a feeling that things were going pretty well in his life. He was representing God. But when he is in this room and he experiences the visual presence of God, he becomes, in another translation it says, undone. He's falling apart. He's losing it. In fact, he calls down a curse on himself. He says, woe is me. There are two two different types of curses. Uh, They call it the wheel. Uh, That is good, good news, okay? When a prophet speaks, that type of, uh, not both curses, but one is a blessing. In fact, the same word, blessing, blessed is are the poor in spirit, Jesus Christ said, uh, was like an oracle from a prophet saying, you are blessed, I am blessing you. Well, the other thing was a curse, and that was, whoa, 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 you got some bad news coming here. I've got some news to deliver to you, and you're not going to be happy. So here you have a prophet, you know, bringing an oracle down on himself. That's what they were called oracles, prophecies, and say, what was me? Cursed be me. Now, why was that? Because when he stood in the presence of God and experienced his holiness, he knew he was nothing. He knew whatever he thought he might have his act together and He just knew, no, I'm falling apart here. (laughs) And every time people uh, experience uh, some type of contact uh, with God, that many times is the pattern. They just lose it because the glory of God is just overwhelming and the holiness of God, and all you can think is, whatever I think I've been doing right hasn't been enough. (laughs) And you just level Okay, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm falling apart here, uh, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, that's really interesting why he says that. There's a lot of things he he could say, you know, about his life. I mean, I'm a man of unclean hands. I'm a man of unclean feet, um, unclean mind. But why does he say the lips? Because, friends... That's where a large majority of our sin happens, doesn't it? Right? What comes out of our mouth? Because it's in our heart and mind, and it's going to come out at some point in some way, especially with people that you're friends with, and uh, you know, gossip and slander and those type of things. You'll you'll speak those ways, and you know, think, "Oh, I'm just venting," or something like that. And sometimes it's good to vent. I'm not against that. But, but when you really start to attack people, you know, and, and really bring down their reputation and lying, okay? you got to remember, our voices were given to us for what purpose? To praise God, right? That's why our voices were given to us. What did James say about the tongue? If you can, if you can control your tongue, you're perfect. Well, obviously, we're not perfect, right? <laughs> we can't control our tongue. Think about arguments you've been in with your spouse or your kids and the things that you said. Or think about what someone said to you that you still remember. Maybe it was a month ago. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was 30 years ago. But it hurt you so deeply. 
That's why he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's why he said that. So you see, the more we expose ourselves to God's Word, the more we expose ourselves to other Christ followers, the more we realize uh, that we're a sinner. Now the good news, if we've accepted Jesus Christ's gift of salvation, uh, we're good. And now we're just working. We have holiness, positional holiness with God. And so he looks at us and he says, I can have a relationship with you. But there's a practical holiness that we need to continue to work at as God works in us, as it talks about uh, in Philippians. And so the point is, is that uh, we need uh, to realize that we are holy in the eyes of God. Uh, now, it's interesting as you look at uh, Isaiah 6 6. This is, uh, um, yeah, this is uh, what happens after that. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, the six winged creature having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. How many enjoy saunas? Whenever I go to a hotel, I'm with the boys, and we step in the sauna for a little bit. It's just there. <laughs> you know, it's a different experience. and uh, We sit there. We have our bathing suits on. Just clear about that. And, uh, you know, man, it's really getting hot in here, isn't it? Five minutes, maybe. <laughs> How many enjoy saunas? There's got to be some people out there. Yeah, they're very healthy and all different types of benefits. Well, I tell you what, just imagine if you were in a sauna and your friend took some tongs and picked up one of those rocks and said, I'm going to put this on your lips. <laughs> you would be out of that sauna and you'd have deep, serious questions about your friend's psychological state. Well, this is what happened, right? I mean, the lips, you think of your lips. You know, just touch your lips for a second. They're so sensitive, right? I mean, you kiss with your lips, right? <laughs> and a lot of other things happen, food and all those type of things. Well, one, one of the seraphim flew to him, having his hand burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. Now, we're not sure what happened, but, I mean, if you touch your mouth with something that's very hot, it's going to blister up. It's going to be very, very painful. So we're thinking, what, what is God doing here? Is he, he punishing him? Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, Isaiah, when he stood in the holiness of God. And he felt just like a total worthless sinner. I mean, God didn't say, yeah, think about it for a while, buddy. <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, listen, really, it's not that bad. I mean, you're doing the best job you can. He didn't say that either, did he? No, what he did was, is he made him holy. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. 
That's what he did for us on the cross. He took that penalty for us in order that we might be atoned, in order that we might... uh, Atone means to make amends. In the New Testament, it speaks of reconciliation uh, with God. But he brought us into relationship with God so that we no longer have to fear the punishment of a holy God who cannot have a relationship with an unholy person. I tell you, that is what the gospel is all about. So, how do we apply this? Well, 1 Peter 4, 14-16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we're not going to be holy in the distinctiveness of who God is, but we're going to be holy in the way we live out our lives. And it's a long, slow process. And the the point is not to beat yourself up. Oh, this is wrong, this is wrong. No, just to listen to the Spirit. And we're going to do this in a moment. Uh, We're going to listen to the Spirit, and we're going to ask Him, Lord, now, what area do I need to work on? What area is there in rebellion in my life or a sinful pattern? Show me this area. Because your son died for me. And you look at me as holy, but I'm just going to keep working on holiness because that's what's seen in Scripture. All right? So what we're going to do here is that uh, the band is going to come out as I pray here. And then I am going to... uh, have a time of reflection. Just for a couple of minutes, and you can picture yourself in the throne room of God and just ask the question, Lord. I mean, you can do it a lot of different ways. If you feel like you just want to enjoy His holiness, that's fine. But if you want to look at an area of your life where you know, you're not being holy and ask God for the power uh, to overcome that, certainly that's what you want to do. Repent and for the Holy Spirit's power obey. And then we're going to sing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Beautiful song, okay? And then afterwards, we're going to reflect again. And then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, this is a beloved passage of Scripture because it reveals to us who you are. You are holy, you are distinct, you're majestic, you're pure in every way. And Lord, I pray that we would not be fearful of you. There's no reason to fear you, but we should respect you because you are transcendent. You're you're God, you're holy, there's no way to fully describe you. And uh, I pray that as we reflect that it... Either we enjoy this being in that throne room or if we're convicted of a sin, you'll lead us in our prayers in Christ's name. Amen.